All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to uh, Sunday service. Hey, before we get started, I want to just uh, give, this, uh, give this public service announcement out again. Um, if, if 2021 has started out pretty bad for you already, and you're thinking, man, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. I'm, I need a refund on it. I want to wait till 2022. Um, maybe you would like to be in a place that uh, you can connect better with the Lord. I want, I want to, even though we're doing live service here at TLC every Sunday, I want to offer the opportunity for you guys to come out and just have the space here, if you're, you're willing, to come out and just worship God here. Because sometimes, often, a space is very powerful in its ability to uh, bring you to the presence of God as well. And so, if you guys are just having a bad year, 2021, you want to actually come and have a deeper spiritual connection or even just come closer to God, and you feel like the bedroom, the living room is not doing it, uh, just feel free. There's a lot of space here. Come out, meander in, um, sit down, and worship with us here uh, as we uh, start 2021, okay? If you're good, enjoy your service. I pray that Sunday service in your living room is going well for your family, all right? Hey, um, 2021. 2020 has been a pretty intense year, and looking back, we remember a lot of crazy stuff happens. There were fires. Kobe died. Um, a lot of my personal uh, mentors died, you know, that I never met, but like Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite guys, he passed away. We got the riots. We got the, um, the, 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 the protests. We have all of these things happen. We got the division in, the, in, in our elections. A lot of these things happen. We got COVID, right, um, that created lockdowns, that created separation, that created uh, isolation. And it seems like 2020 was a year that didn't really amount to much. But regardless of what you guys believe, let me share with you some of the wins that we've had here at TLC in this past year, 2020. I want to share with you guys what, um, even though it doesn't seem like, you know, in the small microscopic point did much of anything, but added together for 365 days, 52 weeks within the year, what we saw was just this beautiful um, mosaic of things that we're being placed together and being put together to give God honor. So let me share with you guys a few wins that's happened this year. Uh, first, can you put that up there for me? All right, so uh, let's just go through one at a time. First, right, um, over 150 families were blessed through our outreach ministry. That is, that, that's crazy, right? Actually, I got the, the updated number this morning. It's actually 216 families. That's, yeah, that's how detailed we are. 216 families were blessed through our um, taco night. They were blessed through our COVID package relief. They were blessed through uh, October's... Um, uh, Halloween night with the CM, they were blessed through the, the care packages in Christmas. Over 200, we've reached 216 families and blessed our community in that way this past year in 2020. Amen, amen to that? Yeah, give it up for that. Yes, 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 yes. Right? Number two, unbelievably, our offering went up 20%, right, this year, which is crazy because it pushed us back uh, past the 118K mark. Uh, if I had to be specific, we, we, made, we, we brought in 121000 this year in offering tithing out of the amount of people that are in our EM. That is a phenomenal job. And you can always measure the health of the community by its people's ability to be generous in its giving, right? And what I see this past 2020, even though we were isolated, separated, there was this spirit of generosity that was just prevalent among our people, right? Number three... Amazingly, there were 44 
If you guys didn't know, every time you see a post online that comes from TLC family people and they have that hashtag TLC and beyond, right, that hashtag is specifically used to whenever you share the gospel to someone one-on-one. Okay, I, I went back. I'm not sure if I did it correctly, but I searched for the hashtag, and we had 44 gospel-sharing moments among the people of TLC. Do you guys know what that means? That meant that 44 people in this ministry specifically did a one-on-one um, evangelistic conversation with people in this year. So that's a great thing. Give it up for that, yeah? Right? 44. And on top of that, on top of that, let me see number four. They're working it out. There you go. Number four, our Spread Love Not Fear campaign had 145, right, 145 evangelical engagements, which means that 145 of these, I'm I'm sure there was more too because some people didn't comment, but 145 comments in regards to I'm going to focus this year on thinking about reaching people and how to do that and what steps I need to do to make that happen. 145. Add that to number three. We had over 189 evangelical engagements for TLC this year. So whether you thought that this year was kind of like 2020 was a wash, I'm asking you to look back and realize it was not a wash. It was amazing work that the people of our church in the background, in the in the background, just working and doing these things to be a blessing to our community. Number five, we made three trips to Arizona to bless the uh, Navajo brothers and sisters there. I asked uh, to give me an estimate of how much food we delivered, right? Uh, the estimate was 11,700 pounds worth of food delivered within three trips to the brothers and sisters in Navajo Nation. And we go there every year for ministry. On top of that, we gave COVID relief packages twice to 36 families in Peru this year who were struggling with uprising in their country, struggling with COVID relief because they had none. And in these families struggling with work and feeding and all those stuff, we were able to, as a community, as a church, provide twice the needs and the care for 36 families. And, and lastly, we took care of the dormitory mission uh, ministry of InterVarsity Campus Ministry in Saigon, uh, Vietnam. Right? We kept that going because they were actually in a huge amount of debt. They were, I don't know how they were even surviving. They were just kind of going through the motion of it. Um, with our contribution and, and care, they were able to revive that whole ministry and move it forward for the coming years. So they were really blessed by that. So we had impact not only at home, but uh, we had impact internationally as a community as well. Number six, we surpassed 150 subscribers on our YouTube channel. Yeah! Man, I, don't, I think before we had a digital ministry team, uh, you know, I, I made a video seven years ago, right? And I think after seven years, only about maybe like 80 people viewed that video, right? Um, somehow with our digital ministry team, after whatever, every video we get, we get like hundreds and hundreds of views every single time. So we surpassed 150 subscribers. I think in the world of YouTube, that might be a landmark, okay? I'm, I'm not really sure because, I mean, my son will probably know, but I, I don't know. But t- that was a win, and we want to celebrate that as well. We've had a di- huge digital presence uh, with uh, TLC. Se- uh, number seven, uh, we had eight new members join our EM family. Isn't that crazy, right? In the midst of not meeting together, not hanging out, or not even being together, we were able to add eight new members to join our EM family. So praise the Lord for that, all right? And then, yes, number eight, we brought back shop, 
right? Sacred hour of praise and prayer, which brought forth a huge amount of new technology. We were able to uh, transmit radio signals into your car as you were listening and praying as the teams were leading outside in the parking lot. We, we had to be innovative in the way we did ministry like that. And because of that, let me tell you guys, because of our ability to do that, we, we, we changed the, the way our, our service looks and we opened up opportunities for this coming year to do shop in a huge way to gather more people together, more churches, more community to join us on prayer every other month. So that's a huge win. Prayer came back when you have prayer you have revival okay guys and then lastly lastly we created a new small group damascus give it up for that damascus yes yes led by our very own kj right uh it's a small group that is specifically garnered to reach people who want to think about tough issues and deal with them in a very specific way and learning how to articulate their arguments with these tough issues like mental health. How does the church deal with that stuff? So it was an amazing year, right? I'm sure we can have listed more, but those are the top nine that I found uh, that I can celebrate and kind of offer as a win for us this year. So if you're at home, you're thinking, man, 2020 was a wash. It didn't seem like it was anything. Look back, and sometimes in hindsight, you see the hand of God working and moving throughout our community, right? In the middle of 2020, we ha- in the middle of COVID, all these things, we had people who wanted to be leaders. In the middle of 2020, we had people who wanted to commit into membership. In the middle of 2020, we had people who were willing to give their life, their, 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 their finances, their stuff into helping and serving and blessing other people, right? In the midst of 2020, we had people going out and sharing the message with other people. That's a win for any community. And so, can I share with you, when, um, when 2020 hit, when COVID hit, a lot of church freaked out. You know why? A lot of church freaked out because they, they realized they can't do worship live anymore. And so they thought their ministry was over, and they freaked out about, you know, trying to get back on. But TLC didn't freak out, right? Because TLC's existence is not just about Sunday service. This is not the only thing that we have. We have discipleship. We have mission. We have community. And when worship wasn't working out as the way we, we like it to work out, all these other areas stepped up, and we did great, amazing things through that. And God used us to do great, amazing things through that. And so that's why, as, as a community, we develop everything as a whole. And so I would really encourage you for 2021, and you felt like 2020 was a wash, 2021, step into the game with us, right? Worship, mission, discipleship, community. Be a part of this process with us. Build these things up. We, we, are, we have an amazing plan for this year, right? So, uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, if you're at home and you're watching it, you know, give some couple, couple of hearts for the, for the wins of uh, this year of 2020, all right? All right. With that said, okay, with that said, 2020 has been a good, has been a very tough, difficult year as well, right? We can't just kind of um, be totally optimistic. I'm a very re- realistic person. 2020 has been a very difficult year. We've built a lot of walls in our lives, we, we built uh, walls that we've used to separate other people from us, separate other ideas from us, separate other cliques from us, right? We use these walls to, to, um, to isolate ourselves from people we don't agree with, right? We, we, we create emotional walls, spiritual walls, mental walls, okay? And so as the vision team prayed about it and saw the situation happening in 2020, what they decided to do, what we, what we prayed about and realized, we want 2021 to be a year that we go beyond our walls again. 
a year what we call a year of restoration, where, where we're going we're gonna to break down these walls and interact with people that maybe are different from us, people that we don't necessarily like or people that we've lost along the way. We want to create a deeper intimacy and deeper connection and restoring the beauty of what God's kingdom was supposed to look like. It is supposed to look like, right? A lot of times we built these walls because we've forgotten the foundation of our Christian faith. And so we jumped into, we jumped on the bandwagon and whatever the spirit of the culture is telling us and dictating to us instead of allowing the kingdom mindset to come and live in us and for us to live that kingdom mindset to the world. We've forgotten our foundation and therefore we begin to jump on other things and we've created these walls in our lives. You guys follow me? So this year, 2021, our hope and our dream is that as a community, as a body, we go beyond the wall, a year of restoration, where we're gathering together in smaller capacities to worship God together, to bring back the connection and the accountability and the love. We're praying that this year, in terms of uh, community that we are, we are we're, 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 we're gathering in more intimate ways that we're reaching out to people that we've lost along the way in 2020 to, to, to connect with them again, to bring them back out, to remind them that, you know what, we may have differences, but that's not enough. That shouldn't be where we separate ourselves, right? To bring them back under the heart and the picture of the gospel and the kingdom of God. We want, we want 2021 to be a year where our mission is a more intimate evangelical touch where we're we're building relationship to bring people to understand the beauty and love of God. And we want 2021 to be a year of just heightened discipleship where we we want to pour into our soul and our pipeline where we are really investing in raising up brothers and sisters who understand God's word, the mission that he has in store for us, to be able to articulate the word with love and with grace. 2021, beyond our wall, a year of restoration. And it starts with what? It starts with this series that we're about to give today. A series called Foundations. I really believe that the big problem that we have past years about the the way we've articulated our lives and the walls we've built is because... Oftentimes, we have forgotten our foundation in the gospel and who our God is and what we believe. And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to share with you guys the foundations again, to going back to the the scripture, going back to remembering what is it that we believe, prayerfully hoping that the gospel and the grace of God will remind us to live a life that interacts with other people that we can definitely disagree with, but do it in a way that shows love, grace, discernment, kindness, right? That shows no ill will, but just to reach out and understanding. You guys follow me? That is the picture for 2021. That's our, that's our, that's our uh, series for this, uh, this year, okay? Or beginning of this year. So with all that said, whew, that was a mouthful, yes? Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Let's get into the Word. Acts chapter 17, Verses 16 to 34. Let's start the year off with me just reading these verses for us. The Bible is our place of truth. It is the word of God. It is timeless. Therefore, it, it, it speaks into every generation and every situation. It is the word of God that has been given to us. 
God's truth, God's power to transform our lives and move us towards his kingdom. So let's start our year with re- me reading these verses. 16 to 34, I'll give you kind of just a quick overview so that you know what you're reading. Paul is in the city of Athens, and he recognizes there are so many different idols that they worship. And in the midst of all of these places, he decides, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And the way he does it, the way he articulates it, the way he uses their understanding, we see drawing and close, you see people being curious. At the same time, we see people asking questions and we see people coming to believe. So Acts chapter 16 in Athens on Mars Hill, this is Paul speaking to the Athenians. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you this day. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. No, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything by them because he himself gives all men life and he breathes everything, life into everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offsprings. Therefore, since we are God's offsprings, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. No, we should not think like that. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now the commands, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, a number of others. Family, let's pray as we begin God's word. Father, Lord, as we look into the foundations of our beliefs and understanding, Lord, we want to repent for the year of 2020, how often, Father, we have created such division and sides 
and how much we lack love and grace, Father. For if we have looked into your word, into the truth of your word, we, you know we have done different. And so I pray that this coming year, a year when we seek to bring restoration, to go beyond the walls that we have built up, these man-made walls that we have built up for ourselves, I pray, oh God, that we will connect to others who defer with love, with grace. I pray, oh God, that we will have conversations of truth to others without in any moment having ill will. And I pray, oh God, among our people, the sons and daughters of TLC, the friends and families who have joined us today, may we understand the foundations of our faith. May we understand where it came from, what it is, and the beauty and the mastery of it. May you transform our lives this year for 2021. We thank you guys so much. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to start off in foundational conversation as this. To understand any type of what you believe in, you have to recognize this first issue. The first issue is that we all believe in something. It doesn't matter if you think you are religious with an institution, with a scripture, or you are agnostic or atheistic that you don't kind of follow any type of foreign gods or whatnot from the culture or for the institutions. It does not matter what you think. Everybody believes in something. Everybody gives their devotion and their hope and their faith to something, right? And we're going to see how that plays out here in this passage so the first point I want, to add, I want to make for you guys here, what Paul is trying to share, is that everybody believes in something. Everybody believes in something. Look at verse 22. This is what he says. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. See, Paul stands up and he points out to all these people, you know, guys, I, I recognize that you guys are very religious. Right? You, make it, you made a God for everything here. Right? And just in case you forgot one, you made a statue with an inscription to an unknown God, just in case you miss any gods and you want to pay respect for that. Right? And what Paul is trying to show, share with us is this. Despite our, the, way we, the way our secular thoughts work, we all believe in something. Maybe, maybe your belief is not something formal, like you have a place that you come to worship, or you have a place where, or, or books that you read, or you have some sort of like a, a figure that you kind of give your devotion and faith to, right? Maybe it's not that formal, but the reality is you hold deeply unprovable faith beliefs. Everybody believes in something. And if you're, a believer, if you're a Christian out there, you have to understand this. As you are engaging with people. And if, if you're out there and you're just a friend, you're checking in, I want, us to, I want you to have the intellectual integrity, at least for this moment, to recognize that we all believe in something. We all give our life and faith to something. I'll give an example, okay? Most atheists and most agnostic will say something like this. I, I don't believe in a God. I don't believe in an afterlife, right? Fair enough to say. I'm sure you heard a lot of people say that. The answer is, can you prove that? Can you prove that there's no afterlife? Can, uh, can you prove, can, can you do in your scientific way, repeat that and know that there is no such thing as an afterlife there? Of course you can. Of course you can. So to live, to live as if there is no such thing as God, guess what? It's something of a bet. 
and it's certainly a leap of faith that you engage in. Right? You're betting your whole entire life, your whole entire destiny on something you can't prove. That's what we call living by faith. That's what you believe in, right? And so if you ask someone, like, hey, what do you mostly believe in? And they will say, I believe in human rights. I believe in justice. I believe in equality and freedom. I believe in the betterment of the poor. Most people would believe that. The question is then, where did you get that belief from? Where did that originate from? Okay? Because if you ask them, how did, how did the human race come about? How did we get to this point in our, in our existence? How did we come to this place where we exist as a, as a, as a city, as a community, as, as a people now? Right? Their answer would be process of natural selection. The best suited adapts, um, overcomes the other species, and then they prosper. Right? It's, it's, it's this picture of the weak or the strong overcoming those who are weak, out-competing them, and then they survive and get better, okay, and passing that along. Now, if that is the foundation of what you believe as an atheist, as an agnostic, if that is the fundamental part of where you believe the world and everything humanity came from, how then can you start to come to a place now that says what? Well, nations can't, stronger nations can't beat uh, younger, uh, weaker nations, how did you come to a point when you say, you know what, those who are dominant can't overcome those who are weaker? It's not right. Stronger individuals must show equality to everyone else. That, that uh, not, I'm sorry, you say that strong, stronger individuals cannot show, right, their dominance over weaker individuals. Everyone should have equality. How did you come to that place where the fundamental foundation of what you believe in is natural selection, where the strong is overcoming the weak, and now all of a sudden, you say, but now we have to love each other, right? You start off, man descended from apes, therefore we must love each other now. Do you know what you just did there? You took a leap of faith. You, we all believe in something unprovable. Christians are like too, right? Christians are like, we all believe in something that cannot be proven to 100% certainty. We all have the basic principle of faith. We put our faith into something, right? If you believe that man descended from apes, but now you are pushing that we must love each other. If you believe that man descended from apes and evolved and overcame the weaker species to become where we're we're at, but now you're telling me that we must love each other, fight for justice, seek equality. Do you know what you're doing? You are living on a belief, on a faith-based situation. Okay? First point is this. When we deal with any type of foundation, the most, the most, um, the thing with most integrity, intellectual integrity, moral integrity, is that you can come to a place that says, hey, we all believe in something. You and I, we all believe in something. Okay? Now, the second part is this. Even though we all believe in something, the issue is you need the object of your belief to be bigger than the way you're living. We all believe in something, but you need, point two, that the object of your belief to be bigger because it does not connect to the way you are living. Look at verse, um, 
Look at verse 25, 28. This is what Paul says here to them. He says, This God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives men life and breath and everything else. Verse 26, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your poets have said, we are his offsprings, right? Therefore, verse 29, real fast, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. So what Paul is saying, look, you're, you're treating God as his image you're treating your belief system as this very small image made of gold, rocks, stones, right, silver, things made by human hands, things that are very limited. Your belief system and what you actually, the thing you hold on as your foundation and what you actually believe, it does not, is not big enough to deal with the way you live your life, right? It looks like this, okay? When Paul begins to disagree with a group of people that are different from him, you know how Paul does it? He doesn't preach, right? He doesn't, he doesn't go out there and start preaching the message. He goes in and he reasons with them, right? He reasons with, with conversing with them. And I think a lot of Christians, we need to start doing this this year because a lot of times what we do, we, we don't reason anymore. We just shove things down people's throat and tell them to expect it and to, to accept it, right? But the way Paul reasons, he says what? He acknowledged that, we both have deeply different ways in which we see the world, okay? We have different ways in which we engage the world. We have different worldviews in which we see how the world works. He acknowledges that, and then what does he do? He comes inside of that. He comes alongside of that, and he tries to sympathize and understand. He says, you know what? I see that you guys have a lot of gods. You are a great religious people. You even have a God to an unknown God, just in case you miss one. Right? You're a great religious people. Right? And what does he do as he sympathizes for them, as he feels for them? He comes alongside them and he shows them that he understands what they think. He, he is able to articulate their point of view just as well as they can. He reasons with them. And what does he reason? How would he reason with you in this section? Because something about us, our, more, our, our fundamental belief does not match up to what we do in real life. Okay, there's a discrepancy there. How would Paul reason with us? He would say something to us in our culture, in our day. This is what he would say. He would say, there seems to be a contradiction between your moral intuition, justice, righteousness, equality, freedom for, uh, freedom for, for everybody, uh, betterment of the poor, between, there seems to be a contradiction between your moral intuition and the thing that you base your whole entire life worldview on. There seems to be a huge contradiction between you fighting for all these causes and then your belief of where these causes or where humanity came from, Right? He says, you have great moral intuitions. These are great things. Fighting for justice, they're awesome. They're great. They're amazing. These are things that you should do. These are things that you ought to do. But the problem is, you have no obligation to do them because why? You descended from apes. And now you have to fight for causes? Paul says, there seems to be a discrepancy there, a contradiction there. There seems that it doesn't flow 
as a survival of the fittest mentality to now take care of those who are weaker than you. It doesn't connect that way. See, if there, see, if there's no God, if your belief system is so small to include this, then you have to really question whether this thing really is real or whether this thing that you hold on to is really real because you obviously feel very passionate about your causes, but what your causes are based on seems very small to fit it. Paul is saying you need the object of your faith to be bigger. You see, as a believer, as a Christian, we say what? God is the cause of all things. And God is huge. And God commands love. He commands equality. He commands that man and woman are equal. He made them equal. He commands that you care for the poor. God says love the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners, those who are not better. He commands for justice, right? He fights for the cause of those who cannot speak up. God commands those things because this God that we worship is a mighty God. And so we understand that because we worship this God, our obligations, our, our, our intuition of justice, um, of betterment for the poor, of equality, that makes sense. That makes sense. That fits together. But if you're out there and your belief system is based on apes evolving getting smarter, overcoming the weaker people, adapting, overcoming more weaker, adapting, to how did you get to a place where you said justice is important? To caring for the weak is important. It doesn't add up. You guys following me at home? I hope so, right? This is foundation, guys. Paul is saying your belief is too small. You need the object of your faith to fit in to what you intuitively know. You need the object of your faith to fit into what you already understand instinctively. When you see a child being hurt by a family member or being hurt in an abusive way, instinctively you know that that's wrong. That's not your child. That that child has nothing to to do for the betterment of your survival. But you know instinctively that's wrong. You know instinctively that cannot work. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe, if you believe in your God, God calls you to fight for abuses like that. But how can you instinctively know that that's wrong if your object of your faith is built on what? A belief system where, you know what, let's get rid of those who are weaker. All right? I have a best friend, you know, like, I'm not saying he said this, but like, his thing is about you know, his mindset is, you know, let's get rid of those who are weak. You know, COVID-19 seems to be doing that. Could we say that that's a good thing? Should we, everyone should we be proclaiming COVID-19 is a great thing? No, of course not. Death is not good. It's not meant to be. So one, we all believe in something. We all believe in something. You, you base your life on improvable facts, whether you are a religious institution or just a secular person who base your life on secular worldviews. You all believe in something. But two, if you are a secular person, your, your, your object of your faith needs to be big enough to connect to what you intuitively know. Or else, what happens? Or else you're just contradicting yourself. Or else you're living this way, but you actually aren't living based on what you believe. Right? There's a contradiction there. And then lastly, 
Some of you guys may say, well, okay, that's cool, but, you know, I believe in God. You know, some of you guys may be at home, I'm a Buddhist, or, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm a Muslim. I believe there's a God. I believe that there's a higher. So that being of mine fits into that story. True, very true. But here's the thing. Not only do you have to have an object of your faith to be big enough to deal with the things that you morally, intuitively know, that object of your belief, right, has to be wonderful enough, right, to deal with your heart's deepest desire. The object of your faith must be wonderful enough, beautiful enough to deal with your heart's deepest desire. Look at verse 29 and 34. That's what it says. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or statues, right? An image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council, and a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Right? It's not enough that your belief system, the object of your faith, is big enough for your moral intuition, but the object of your faith has to be wonderful enough, right? has to have a wonderful enough salvation to deal with your heart's desire, to deal with your heart's deepest desire. Right? Do you know that the resurrection, the thing that Paul preaches that is unique only to Christianity... Do you know that the resurrection, the thing that Paul preaches here, the thing that all the Athenians here were kind of sneering at and kind of confused about, this resurrection is the most unique teaching in any other faith, in any other belief system. Because the resurrection was the answer for the people to understand suffering. The resurrection was the answer for people to understand suffering. You look at any other religion, why do you suffer? Because you did something bad. Why do you suffer? Because you didn't praise God enough. Why are you suffering? Because you didn't give God enough money. Why, did you, why are you suffering? Because you weren't a good enough person. Why are you suffering? Because you did those things in secret. Christianity gives us a picture of the resurrection that deals so beautifully and so wonderfully with the issue of suffering. No other worldview give us such hope. See, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for our sins, he didn't run away from suffering. What did he do? He ran towards it. He attached himself to suffering. See, the majority of people, we try to avoid suffering. We try to do as many things possible so that maybe some God won't, 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 won't condemn us and make our lives suffer, suffer. But what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't avoid suffering. He ran into it on the cross. Christians have a model from someone who embraced suffering and loved people in spite of it. He embraced suffering and he loved people in spite of it. He didn't love people so that he can avoid suffering. He loved people and he was willing to embrace suffering. See, the resurrection gave them hope that even the worst thing that can happen to them, death, is not the end. That it's going to be made new. You see, in the Christian theology, in the Christian foundation, we suffer in life. 
Things happen. Crap hits the fan. Things don't go right. Even when you do good. Let me tell you guys, even when you do good, things doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that things are going to go well for you. Right? You don't do good so that things will go well for you. You do good because why? It's the right thing to do. And in life, Christianity recognizes that we suffer. We suffer because of brokenness. We suffer because of sin. We suffer because of selfishness from people. We suffer because of division. We suffer because of isolation. We suffer because of of people wanting their ways. We suffer. But Christianity offers the resurrection. The Christian faith, Jesus Christ, is a God who is not only big enough to deal with our causes, our, our moral intuitive desire to fight for these causes, he's big enough to deal with the deepest desires of our hearts. That even when we face death and we take our last breath, we know it's not the end. The resurrection tells us what? All things will be made new. There is hope. There's always hope. Every other faith, you die, you're on a scale. You're just hoping for the best, that you've made the scale of, you know, of life, that your good outweighs your, uh, outweighs your bad. But in Christianity, you have a Savior who died for your sins, who paid the cost of your sin, so that when you come before God, you are made new, 100%. See, Christians in the first century were not afraid to deal with suffering. They weren't afraid of suffering. Everything else does not give us adequate power to do this. You guys follow me? The foundation I want to lay down for you guys today is this. It's a simple thought foundation. Everybody believes something. Don't ever get confused that you don't believe something. Be, have the intellectual integrity to at least understand that everybody believes something. You put your faith in something, something that you cannot prove. The question is, is the object of your faith big enough to deal with the moral intuition that you have for what's right and wrong. And on top of that, is the object of your faith big enough to deal with the deepest longing desires of your human heart? And what we have in Jesus Christ, the object of my faith, the object of your faith, is someone who is big enough to call his people to go into the world around them, into the spirit of the world around them, to fight for the causes of the the lost, to fight for justice, to fight for righteousness, to fight for equality, to fight for the betterment of the people. And that God, and in Jesus Christ, we have someone big enough that tells us that no matter how bad things get here, I came back from the dead. So will you. That is... That is the foundation we all believe in. Some of you guys at home, let me, let, me, let me just spend a few seconds to comment on some um, real-world issues. Some of you guys at home, you might be saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, PT. This is like old news for me, right? This is just, I understand this already. Really? Because oftentimes when I go online this past year and I read your posts and I read your reaction to the things around me, what I see is a response of a son and daughter that lacks the belief in the God that they say they proclaim that they love and they know. I see a lack of grace and a lack of love in the communication that you have towards those who are different from you. I sense the vitriol of hatred and anger 
towards those you differ from. In, in our faith, in Christianity, there is an amazing resource that can help us be disagree. You can disagree. No one's saying that you have to agree. You can disagree, but you can do it in a way that offers love and grace, that brings someone to you, not to create walls around you. So if you're telling me that you have the foundation of Jesus as your life and he is the object of your faith, then what I see in reality of how you live it out tells me otherwise. There's a contradiction there. Either you don't actually believe in the object of your faith, right? Or you do believe in it, but your hate is too strong. And you let that run your heart. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you guys something. Our God is a God who went to the cross for his enemies. The Bible says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ took the cross. And I see brothers and sisters who differ greatly with each other, which is fine. We are okay to disagree. You can disagree sharply with one another. But what I see is I don't see anyone running to the cross with the other person. I pray that 2021 is a year of restoration, a restoration of relationship, that when you are engaging with people, let it be that you can disagree sharply, but let it be that you would do it in a way that shows the love and grace of your God that you proclaim that you love and know. Because otherwise... You live your life as hypocritical as anyone else. And you have no right to point any finger to anybody. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray.